Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anne Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf today, Masacha Beitza, daf Yud Bet, page 12. Well, we're continuing in this stream of Mishnayot that have a machloka between Beit Hill and Beit Shammai. Um, and here we go. Beit Shammai Omrim, Ein Motzin, Lo et HaKatan, Velo et HaLulav, Velo et Sefer Torah, L'Rishut HaRabim, O Beit Hill Matirim. So here we have a list of things that Beit Shammai says you cannot carry from a Rishut Yachid to a Rishut Rabim, right, from a private domain to a public domain. And here we can feel like we're all back in Erevin, right, or Shabbos, Masechet Shabbat. Um, you cannot carry either, neither a minor child, meaning somebody who is not, well, someone who's not permissive, but the point is you can't carry the child. Um, theoretically, this would apply to carrying an adult as well. Right, it's not. I, I'm not a hundred percent clear on why the Gemara, spe- uh, the Mishnah rather, specifies a katan as compared to a person, um, except for the fact that you're more likely to be carrying a katan. Uh, of course, the the humor here is that the list goes from a katan to a lulav. Right, you can't carry a child, you can't carry a lulav, you can't carry a Torah scroll into the public domain, um, and the point is that. Here we have the distinction between Shabbat and Yom Tov, and where we really wouldn't find this in Masach Shabbat or even Masach Erevin, in terms of what you can carry on Yantif. On Yantif, you technically can carry in from Yishud Yechid to Yishud Rabim, specifically for matters pertaining to the preparation of food. But Beit Shammai's rationale here is none of these things needs is needed for the preparation of food. So Beit Hillel says, yeah, but you can, meaning, yes, it's acceptable to carry any one of these things, um, even though they're not necessarily for food preparation, they are for other purposes, right? If you're talking about the need of the holiday, well, a lulav could be needed for the holiday. A Torah scroll could be needed for the holiday. And I think it goes without saying that the child might be, you know, part of the family needed for the holiday. Uh, the Gemara here, you know, addresses all of this. Tari, Tani, Okay. The the Gemara kind of jumps aside, really. It says, there's a bright day in the name of Rav Yitzchak Bar Avdimi. He says that one who brings a nedava, like a gift offering, right, and does so on Yantif, is lokeh, is, is, um, receives lashes. Why? Because that same slaughtering of that animal for that korban was completely extra when it comes to the, to the Chag meaning it's not part of the required korbanot of the Chag. It's not required for the sake of eating. So then that kind of extra rule um, means like, well, what are you doing with it? And and therefore it's a violation of the, you know, the basic regulations of Yom Tov. Amar Leh, so Rav Yitzchak Baravdibi says to that same Tana, the Amar Lach Mani, he says, who, who said this? Like, where did you get this idea that you can't offer a korban to Dava? So the rationale here is explained that it's the opinion of Beit Shammai, who says, since, meaning, the opinion of Beit Shammai is that we do not say, this is a little bit convoluted, so let's say it carefully, we do not say, well, carrying was allowed for, for food preparation, so too carrying should be allowed for anything. Meaning the idea is that once you're doing, once the the act of carrying is permitted specifically for food preparation, shouldn't that also be 
permitted for any other kind of carrying. And Beit Shammai says, no, that's the whole rationale of saying, no, you can't carry a katan and you can't carry a lulav or a sefer Torah. So the rationale then of the same thing of, of bringing a korban, you could bring a different korban, but not this korban, right, that Beit Shammai has that limitation. The e Beit Hillel had the Amri Mituch Shahutra Hutzalit Sarah, Hutra Nami Shalolit Sarah, as compared to Beit Hillel, as Beit Hillel's position is, you know, the moment that, it, that there's a uh, a heter, there's, it's permitted to carry um, for the requirements of food, so too they permitted carrying anything that's Lolit Sarah, that's not required for the preparation of food. Hachanami Mituch Shahutra Shrita Litzarah, Hutra Nami Shalolit Sarah. So the same way that Shrita, uh, slaughtering the animal, would be permitted for food preparation, right? Well, the, for the need, well then, so then, even if it's not a requirement, you still could do that same Shrita, which would then permit the Korban Nidava, the, the present, the gift of this Korban. Matkifla Rabba. Rabba doesn't like this rationale. He says, the how do you get that this is what they're disagreeing about? Meaning that it's permitted for one thing and therefore whether you extend it to other things or not. Maybe we can say that really they're disagreeing about something else. That really they're disagreeing about the extent of the halachot of Eruv and whether the carrying that applies to Shabbos, how, to, you know, how far does that, would that extend on Yantif? Does Eruv, is Eruv required at all as it might be according to Beit Shammai, um, according to Rabbah. Meaning, uh, my sense here is that not that Rabbah is saying that this is what they're talking about, but that he's putting forth a possibility of another kind of nikudata machloket, that there's another uh, locus of what they're really, their dispute really revolves around, and that it doesn't have to be this claim of what's permitted for one thing is could be permitted for another, or or dafka not. Marsavar, so then the Gemara is going to try to explain this a little bit further, so then one holds, right, that the same way that you, that the Eruv um, allow, uh, applies, right, that you have the halachot of Eruv and they apply to Shabbat, so too the Eruv should apply to Yontif. Umar Savar, this one being bit Hillel, Eruv hotza al Shabbat, ve'ed Eruv hotza al Yom Tov, kidichti v'lotetziyum masabi batechem b'yom ha-Shabbat, b'Shabbat id b'yom Tov lo. So the second view here is then that the same, in contrast to the way that we have Hilchot Erevin with regard to Shabbat, we dafka don't have Hilchot Erevin. There's no requirement of an Erev for the carrying that is done on Yantif. And there's a specific verse from the book of Jeremiah that says, you know, you, you don't carry things out of your homes on Shabbos. So then Beit Hill can say on Shabbat, like that's the verse is explicit. On Shabbat, you don't carry things out of your homes and that's where you need an Erev. But when it's not Shabbat, meaning when it's Yom Tov, you can indeed carry out. And that and that perhaps becomes the point of the Machloket. But Rav Yosef doesn't like Rabbah's approach. Rav Yosef. So, so if that's the case, says Rav Yosef, so then let the argument here be whether or not you're allowed to carry rocks on the festival, on the Chag. Meaning, well, they're not really disagreeing about rocks, right? The idea that there's something that is not really serving any purpose in this case, right? Meaning we're, when we're talking about something that doesn't have a purpose for their for any kind of need on Yantif, 
then take a step back and say, well, then clearly or presumably what they're disputing is really things that are shalot tzorach or kein tzorach, meaning they are necessary for the holiday or not necessary for the holiday. And to what extent the um, the permissibility of handling these things is extends depending on, again, whether they, whether your Beit Shammai says, you know, if it's not Litzorach, if it's not for a requirement for Yantif, you can't do it, or whether Beit Hill will extend it and say, yes, it's okay. Um, so the idea here, I think, is that Rav Yosef basically takes this, the whole question of what could they possibly be disagreeing about to the nth degree so far that they have to go back and say, okay, okay, really, it makes sense what you said the first time, that they were talking about something with regard to how far you have, uh, you can extend something that is for the basic requirements of the holiday or not. So, you know, I think this point about a Reuven here is interesting because we always think of it as like, yeah, of course you could just carry on Yom Tov. But I think this kind of reminds us a little bit that the assumption about carrying on Yom Tov was not always there. And what you're allowed to carry for uh, also, you know, was discussed a little bit. It's not that you could carry just absolutely anything. Right. I think that's always an interesting question. Like, the I the even practically speaking today, if you are in a place that it's Yantif and you can carry because it's because you can carry on Yantif and you don't have an Aruv, it's always hard to figure out and to remember what can you carry, what can't you carry. It would be much easier if it were a sweeping blanket um permiss- permission slip. Right. And I think this sort of reminds us that, you know, the issue of carrying, as we saw in Masaka Shabbat with Shabbat, Shabbat and even now with Yantov is a much more complicated than people often realize. A hundred percent. So I'm going to jump down to the second mission on this staff, which again is going to continue um, the discussion of different machlokot between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. What's interesting about this mission, though, is there's a little bit of a back and forth between the two of them. Beit Shammai Omrim. So Beit Shammai says, so one of the things that you're allowed to do on a uh, chag is you can separate out challah, right? Like if you make dough or you were to bake something that was dough, you had to take a portion of it to give us challah to the kohen, right? For It had to be designated for a kohen. And so Beit Shammai says that you cannot separate, uh, or you can't bring separated challah or other gifts, right? Parts of, you know, there were parts of a slaughtered animal that you brought as a korban that were made, that were designated for the Kohen, but you can't bring that to the Kohen on Chag. So even though you're allowed to separate it, you can't actually give it as a gift. And it doesn't make a difference whether it was separated on the Arab of the Chag, right? Or if it was done on the Chag itself. And Beit Hillel says it's okay, so you can give it as a gift. Amrulahem Beit Shammai, so Beit Shammai says to Beit Hillel, Right, so he says, you know, we're going to make an analogy here. So chala and all these other gifts are a gift to the kohen, and truma is also a gift to the kohen. Just as you cannot, um, you know, just as you cannot bring truma, you're not allowed to give truma to a kohen on a chag. So why would that not extend to all other gifts? You just cannot give gifts to uh, the coin. And it's not just that you can't give truma, you actually aren't allowed to separate it. So Beit Hillel actually focuses in on this piece that truma you can't actually separate on the Chag. 
So he says, no, truma, which you can't separate, obviously then you also can't give it. But other gifts which you can separate on the Chag, obviously you should be allowed to give it as well. And so again, we have a little bit of a different Mishnah here because this Mishnah, you know, actually gives us a little bit of the discussion or the reasoning behind why did Beit Hillel come up with his opinion? Why did Beit Shammai come up with that opinion? And then the Gemara goes on to sort of give us three different opinions um, of exactly what is this, you know, what exactly is being uh, argued here? Like what is exactly is, is the case that we are, uh, that we're talking about here. And they basically give us sort of, you know, three options, right? There's going to be this opinion of Acherin, an opinion of Rabbi Yossi, and an opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And I'm not going to read the whole thing inside, right? Rabbi Yehuda basically holds that even Beit Shammai would agree that Hafra showed on Yom Tov can be given, right? Rabbi Yossi is going to hold this opinion that actually Chala Matanot can be given regardless of when they actually took place, right? And that the argument is really only over Truma. And Achayim is going to say everybody agrees Truma can't be given, but the argument is going to be on, you know, all other gifts. Um, and so they sort of want to try to figure out exactly, you know, again, it's one of these cases where the Mishnah is not exactly to be read as a Mishnah, but we need to understand what exactly uh, the case, what exactly the case is. So I think that's one, you know, interesting thing that's here, which is this idea of like giving gifts on Yom Tov. And so I think we could understand why it would happen, because one of the things we're getting a sense of on these Dampim is, is that a lot of, let's say, activity was allowed to be due to sort of like increase your Simchat Yom Tov. And so I think we could see like sort of why there could be an encouragement of giving these gifts to Kohanim because probably the giver gets something out of it, right? That like, you know, you increase the joy that sort of the Kohen felt. And additionally, the Kohen, you know, he gets more meat or more gifts or whatever it is. And that also sort of increases their celebration. Um, but to see that like, it's not so straightforward that you can necessarily give all these gifts, I, I, I found to be very interesting because it's like it's just giving a gift. What would be the big deal? But I think it sort of ultimately goes back to, you know, if, you know, what are you actually allowed to separate or not separate? And therefore, what are you allowed to give or not give? And so then finally, you know, in typical Gemara fashion, you know, we end up with these two stories. And this part I am going to read that sort of illustrate this point. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Halacha to Rav Yossi. So Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Shmuel that actually the opinion, the halakha is according to his opinion of Rabbi Yossi. And so now they're going to give a story that illustrates that. Rav Tubi bereid Rav Nechemya, habele garba de chamra de truma. So Rav Tubi, the son of Rabbi Nechemya, had a bottle of truma wine. Atta lakame de Rav Yosef, he went in front of Rav Yosef, Amarlein, he said to him, mahulam tuye lakoin hadzena. So he says, can I actually bring a coin, this bottle of wine, on Chag? Amar Leis, Rav Yosef says to him, Hachi Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Halacha ka Rav Yosi. So he says, no, we know that Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, the Halacha is like Rav Yosi, who holds the Beit Hillel permitted that you could bring Truma to a pre-Senate festival, right? And so therefore, even Truma was allowed to be bring, you even could bring Truma, and therefore the Halacha is that you could actually bring this wine. So again, that has to do with Rabbi Yossi's interpretation of the Mishnah. So now we have a, another story. And remember, now we have, the, again, that root of that word, Ushpiz, in here. So the host of Rabbah, the son of Rav Hanan, right? 
he had, um, you know, so this now, sorry, I, this gets now into a separate topic. I should have prefaced this, but it's always interesting when we see the stories. So that's the first story. Now the Gemara now takes this very interesting detour where if like, we're sort of talking about separating, we're going to have a different story here. And it's interesting to see sort of the setup here because it doesn't actually, it's not directly related to the Mishnah, but I believe the connection is, and Anne, I'd, I'd want to hear what you think also once I finish the story, that it has to do with the idea of separating. So we have the host of Rav, the son of Rav Hana, right? He has Havele Isruyata de Chardala. So he had bundles of sort of, you know, unprocessed mustard seed, like the seeds were still in the stems. Amarle, and so he says to his guests, Mahu lefaruche umecha minuhe biyomto. So he says, what's the halach about crushing basically the mustard stalks and eating from them on a festival? So Rava, the son of Rav Hanan, right? He didn't have, right? It literally means he didn't have it in his hand. He didn't have the, the he didn't have the answer. Right? So the son of Rav Hanan, right? So they go to in front of Rava and they ask him the question. So he says to him that you can husk kernels, basically like rubbing your fingers, and you can crush kidney, you can crush legumes on the festival. So this would basically meaning this would imply that basically you can actually, you're permitted to actually crush mustard stalks. And then the Gemara gets into a very lengthy discussion that's going to continue onto the next phase as well about this whole idea of opening shells or seeds on Yom Tov and whether or not you're allowed to um, and, you know, uh, uh, or, or whether or not you can or you can't um, and what actions are you actually allowed to take. So what I was struck by with this example is sort of like, first of all, how it sort of comes about on the page itself. It doesn't necessarily really seem to have a connection. So again, and I want to know why you think it appears here. And also that, you know, it doesn't have its own Mishnah. It's basically related back to, you'll see this on tomorrow's daf, that it's related back to the whole concept of separating truma. And that really what this becomes is an issue of borer, um, even though I thought initially maybe it was an issue of crushing. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There, this whole discussion here, it seems interesting that there isn't a Mishnah about it in Beitza, and I couldn't quite figure that out. So let me just understand. You want to know why the story is placed here? First of all, what the connection is. And second of all, like, why does the halacha around this sort of not have its own Mishnah? It's all Amoraic discussion, which I found to be fascinating. Oh, I mean, so this, that second question, I know we're supposed to answer the first things first, but <laughs> the second question I think is less challenging because I think there's no Mishnah when there's no Mishnah. And then there's an Amoraic discussion when the Amorayim thought there was something to discuss that Oops, Chaval is not in the Mishnah, right? Right. I guess I'm just surprised this wasn't a scenario that came up. But I, I hear what you're saying. Like, in other words, the Mishnah just didn't talk about it. It just didn't talk about it. But there, obviously, you'll see this on tomorrow's death. They try to connect it to this Mishnah. Right, right. No, that I understand. The other thing I think, in terms of the story, uh, I don't have anything good to say. Meaning, maybe it's connected to the Beit Hill, Beit Shammai business. Yeah, it just, again, I was puzzled by how it appears here. You know, sometimes you get the flow of the Gemara and how they get from subject to subject. It wasn't as clear to me here, and I guess I'm just sort of pointing that out right now. I think that it may be, 
and I'm I'm a little bit wary of saying this because I haven't gotten too far ahead of where we are right now in terms of preparation for future Dabim. But I wonder, you know, as we move on to other topics, maybe they're kind of like, you know, wrapping up loose ends. Yes. Yeah, so that's, I, I think that again, I, and I feel like I'm re- being so repetitive in this particular Masachet, I'm not getting the internal structure here. And yes, like that whole section, it just feels like it's wrapping up a loose end. And that's what this Masachet feels like to me. It's like, we're just going to wrap up all the loose ends about any other question that you could have had about Yom Tov. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 